report, y'all. Welcome to episode five of Morning Report, y'all. Today we have a very special guest. We're here in Dr. Philip Chang's office. He is the chief medical officer of UK Healthcare and a general surgeon and one of my mentors in residency. And he is here to talk to us today about a wide variety of topics. How are you, Jacob? I'm good doing to good. See you. It's great to be here. Um, how are things going for you? Going well, going very well. Awesome. Things are busy at the big center, I guess you would you would say. Um, a lot of uh, initiatives in the hospital. Um, a lot of challenges for our state too, you know. Yeah. Um, the um, <clears throat> I brought Phil on the show for the listeners out there to uh, talk. Is it okay if I call you Phil? Of course. Now that now that you're not Doctor yes. Chang anymore. Okay, that's right. So um, Doctor Chang or Phil is. Uh, is on the show because he was a interesting character that we got to work with a lot during residency. He is now like moved up. You've moved all the way up the food <laughs> chain on the non-academic administrative side of things, which is kind of not necessarily a rural surgery thing like most of the stuff we talk about on our podcast, but UK is kind of a little bit of a different center because it is a very rural state and a very rural service population. But Yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, I've moved farther up than I ever wanted or thought that I should. <laughs> uh, I was, uh, you know, there are a couple of, uh, there are different, people do administrative stuff for different reasons, and um, I, um, I have my reasons, but, but I, will, um, I, I will say that uh, I was very happy being a general surgeon, and um, I still operate. <clears throat> um, How often the, are you going to one of these days? Whew, not like before, not yeah. like when you remember it. Uh, but, you know, the emergency general surgery service allows me to pick up a group of 30, 40 patients, you know, and then admit patients oh, a I week. Know. And then I get to pass it on to my partner, you know, and, and that's allowed me to practice. Um, what I've learned uh, is that keeping an elective, elective practice is extremely challenging. As, as I think you, all the listeners know, that uh, when you do elective cases, you're available to your patients basically 24-7. Yeah. And uh, that doesn't really work very well if you have board meetings and other meetings, you know, because patients do come first. So I, I, when I try to do that, so that's the, that's the practice I had to give up, all those uh, really I enjoy a lot of those big hernia repair cases. Yeah. All those things I keep sending you guys. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I, and I, I don't feel like I, I feel like if I if I do that and I'm not available to them, then I'm I'm not doing them the right service. Yeah. So I'll do an occasional gallbladder and inguinal hernia for people who specifically refer to me, but for the most part, emergencies. And I love all, as you know. Yeah. All operations, laparoscopic, open, anything. Yeah. We talk a lot about laparoscopic versus open on the other episodes because Dr. Burton, who is another one of my mentors, and surgical dad over there he uh doesn't like any laparoscopic case he wasn't in he wasn't out with us when you were a resident right j Adam michael Burton came <clears throat> joined moorhead when i was there okay as a second the second year okay yeah, so about 2000 right 2000 yeah. 2001 range yep. yeah he just started i, I moved a, from mount sterling yeah i was yeah. a sophomore in college then yeah <laughs> 
right. Just let just he, just so there is an age difference in case anybody's interested. That's right. He was he was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, he's, he still is, I'm sure. Yeah, no, he's a lot of fun. He's kinda of slowing down a little bit, you know, yeah. he's had some as our other listeners know, he's had some age related complications. He he yeah. joined um, Shelly Bennett. Yes. Dave Victor, Mary Phillips, and uh, Richard Proudfoot. Yeah. Yeah. Dream team. That was the dream team. Shelly Bennett, um, he was he was awesome. Yeah, he'll uh, he'll say stuff like, um, "It's back in the days of CDs, right? Pre iPod." Yeah, <laughs> he'll 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 bring a CD in, and you'll look at me and go, "You know, this is a one CD case." <laughs> Better be done before the time runs out. You got it. You got it's, it. It's kind of funny, you know. I I feel like uh, I never worked with Shelly Bennett because he retired like maybe two years before I got out there. Shoulder problem. Yep. And um, yep. we we used to hear all these stories. You know, I, I, you've told stories. Uh, Tony Botigi tells stories yep. about all. Just he loved Shelly Bennett. I think he and he yep. and Shelly Bennett had a lot in common. Yes. And, but they um and and Dave Victor used to tell stories about him. Uh, Anytime he would go in, have a really long, like, drawn-out patient encounter on morning rounds, he would, like, you know, look at the whole team, make sure everybody was looking, you know, make a big production out of it. Then he'd pull the pin out of a fake grenade, throw it in the room, and go, hand grenade, call housekeeping. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I've never heard him say that, but I'm just picturing him. And uh, it just, like, cracks me up that he, uh, that it's like, oh, yeah, I could see, I could totally see Tony Botigi doing that. Yes, yes. (laughs) So the, um... The, yeah, it's, it's, that group has kind of almost moved on. Dr. Burton's still around. Proudfoot's still um, doing scopes and some skin stuff, wound care. And Dave is retired. He comes in every Tuesday to show us pictures of whatever he hunted the last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some sandhill cranes. Here's you a know, goose. I, I remember, so, you know, as you know, we go there as second-year residents. <clears throat> and I remember... And, and it was a great experience, really, as you know. Um, it really allowed early on in the residency training to be the first assist to yeah. the attending physician, attending surgeon. And um, and I remember, you know, a few weeks into it, my cases with Shelly Bennett, lab coley, we did a lot of lab coleys, were always 40-some minutes, you know, because yeah. you want to be done within the CD. <laughs> and we got done within the CD. And then you go to another attending, let's just say with a particular haircut, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, and it and it took forever, and I kept trying to figure out. And one day I, it, it occurred to me we missed a crucial step. So with Dr. Victor's cases, not anymore though. Back then, he had the patient totally supine. Oh yeah, the entire case. Yeah. He, he is afraid of DVTs. That's right. Yeah. Did yeah. You, you know that he, I guess he had a DVT on his yeah. first patient ever right. that he did a lap coli on, and he right. thought it was because they were, it, gravity right. was Correct. affecting because yeah. they were in Trendelenburg. Right. And, right. Um, or reverse, yeah. Yeah, or yeah. reverse Trendelenburg, yeah. Right. Head up, feet down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I remember that driving me crazy as a residency. Yeah, and I went and I said, I, I was excited. I figured it out. I went to him. I said, I figured out, you know, I figured out why this takes this case was harder. And I said, we've got to have reverse Trendelenburg, and we've got to tilt the patient a little to the left. That way, let gravity go to work. He goes, oh, no, I know about it. We're not doing that. I was like, what do you mean we're not doing that? <laughs> we can't see the gallbladder. <laughs> no. We can't see the infundibulum. 
You're, you're absolutely not changing the way I do this case. That's right. <laughs> that is that's like, right. it's like I've had some second years come through here before, and <laughs> they've tried to change some stuff, and that's not working for and me. And here I was thinking I was so smart, yeah. I figured out what's wrong, and so, no, no, no. Been there, done that, we're not changing. It's by that. design. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not what's wrong, it's what we do. That's right. <laughs> yeah. The uh, finishing by the end of the CD is pretty funny, because, you know, I'm not a real big music person. Like, I don't have... You know, I, I don't have a collection of music I listen to or anything, but in the operating room, we will uh, we, I, like weaponize the music on the residents or on the staff members or anesthesia or whatever. So depending on the audience, you, you'll pick what music you put in there. So we listen to a lot of Disney princesses, like songs. Like we nice. listen to like the uh, Moana soundtrack, perhaps. Nice. And we'll be like, if you're done before the end of the sing-along part of Frozen, per se. <laughs> you guys can get this gallbladder out by the time Frozen is over. You get to come in and do the next case. Otherwise, nice. you're standing in the corner. And the residents, over the years, I've kind of softened on them a lot, but I used to be really, really strict. I'm like, no whistling, no singing, without permission. That's right. So. Now, I used to listen to music in the OR. And um, remember Al Cohen came? He was a colorectal surgeon from New York City, Big shot, came here, huge referral base. We used to get patients from North Carolina <clears throat> flying in their own jets so he can do a low interior resection. And his whole thing was he could do the operation. This is before laparoscopic became very popular. He had beautiful exposure. And they'll do a low interior resection for cancer. And he his success rate had to do with the ability to continue to point and shoot, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So he had no he had minimal nerve injury, whereas that was pretty common back in open days. But in any case, <clears throat> uh, I learned this from him. He basically said during the key portions of the case, he'll shut the music off. So after that, I started doing that a little bit, and then I got to the point where I don't want music anymore. Yeah. I just want to listen to people talk or talk to other people and and uh i feel kind of bad because everybody's thinking like what do you mean no how, music? Come, how come we're not listening to music why, 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 why do you they might be music? feeling <laughs> what is wrong they, might, with you? they might be feeling bad because they're like why do you want to talk to me <laughs> <laughs> why does he want to why does he want us to engage yeah we're, we're trying yeah. to just stay out of his way yeah. now there there is some um uh we we actually published not me but our anesthesia department actually published some uh some paper on OR music and loudness as it relates to patient satisfaction and outcome. Huh. So in the ambulatory surgery center. So I, I don't I don't know too too much behind the uh, of the science behind these, but um, it seems to make sense. Like you know, moderation as usual is yeah. fine. But you've got you know you've there's got a, surgeons who well, are there's like a wide variety of like you right. might come in and it's like. You've got some Beethoven or some yeah. like soft Brahms yeah. lullabies yeah. going on, or yeah. in the next the next room you might have like Metallica at yes. the top of their lungs, so they can hear it over hammering the femur rods right. in. Not that it's a particular yeah. group yeah. of doctors yeah. that might listen to Metallica. In but this day and age, unfortunately, you worry about like the, your music offending certain. Oh yeah. Well, I, we always yeah. have to uh, if we put like rap music on. Yeah. I always make sure everybody like is everybody okay. There might be some bad or racially or sexist language in this, which is probably not the best thing to be doing. Like if it's that bad, you know, and you're in charge of the room, you right. probably shouldn't be playing. But everybody's yeah. always like, "Yo, no, please put on Little John." That's what I want to. <laughs> I'm trying to listen to Turn Down for what? <laughs> you have uh, rap from uh, Kids Bop. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what we need. Is like the uh, the the like scrubbed version of it. The uh, yeah, that the the music selection is always like a, a chore. You know, 
I feel now being having been an administrator, you know, you have to watch yourself a little bit more mm-hmm. because you can't like cuss and scream yep. and carry on and stuff because mm. you know you're supposed to be setting the example and all that so the music is like toned down a lot yeah you know it's that's yeah. why we're listening to disney music and i and i think you know you, the surgeons and physicians in general i think i think there was a time when physicians were very serious you know the um uh normal walk rockwell pictures of the little handbag oh, right. the leather yeah. handbag and then uh, bow tie and always in a suit. Yeah. And then we've become, and, and that was a different era where physicians were more revered. Yeah. Uh, particularly in smaller communities. And now I think we've gotten to the point where it, it's become very casual. Oh, extremely. Um, which, which I think has its benefits and I think that's a sign of the time. But, but at the same time, you wonder how much of that has to do with, how much of that has affected how general public views physicians. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there's some negatives attached to it. No, I think, I mean, you know, the, um, it, it's kind of this thing. It's like, you're only the captain of the ship when you're on the witness stand right. <laughs> kind of a situation, right. you know, you're, right. you're, right. uh, you're, it's, you're in charge of this, but well, right. I didn't make the policy and I right. didn't supervise that. And that's this. And right. these are the nurses yeah. make these rules. I don't have anything to do with it. Right. But at the end of the day, none of them are held responsible. The patient doesn't care about any of that stuff. They right. just want the doctor to be in charge, but yeah. try like, stomping your foot and yelling right. and you like can't right. get anything done anymore. yeah so there's a fine line between buddy buddy with everybody in the or which is which i get and then having some type of uh maybe not a clear but some somewhat of a blurry line um where you are the captain of the ship yeah as a surgeon you know yeah. and, and so it's a it's a it's a balance i think we continue to find yeah and, and i think we need to get there and and like you said all those temper tantrum doesn't help our cause right yeah yeah i mean it may get something done for two minutes right. or, or it might scare the living heck out of you know right. some brand new nurse on the floor sure. or whatever right. um in reality you know it's kind of a, it, and it it it's probably more useful i mean it definitely is useful at times you know and and there are um times that it's just you know when you're literally talking life and death yeah like yep. let's everybody get upset about it because right obviously the normal stuff's not working or it's a very high stress and people have bad reactions. But um, we talked in the last episode, I know you're not an avid listener of the podcast, <laughs> Phil, but well, you will be after you. I will episode, be, but, yes. <clears throat> but in the last episode, we talked about the idea of uh, the concept of flow in surgery. So the idea mm-hmm. of, of getting into a rhythm and being in the zone, which mm-hmm. is um, you're, you're confident in your ability. You know what you're doing. The team is working kind of in lockstep um, it's hard to get into flow if they always give you your instrument loaded left-handed instead of right-handed. Right. Or right. if you don't have working equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, So there's more to it than just being like, I'm going to turn my favorite music on. But right. um, there is some idea of like having a comfortable environment to mm-hmm. like, you know, like an athlete, they're comfortable with like 50,000 fans screaming and, and going nuts and the sure. music and the, the lights and yep. the big show kind of a situation. For us, you know, I mean, I don't want a bunch of people like, I don't want Jayco watching through the window yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the case. You know, I don't right. want, right. The, you know, I don't want somebody like overseeing me to, to make sure I'm putting everything in properly. It's hard to do that when you're a resident because the yep. attending's always yep. there. Yep. Um, but in a big case like that, like a, an emergency, you know, it's you can't necessarily get into flow in 15 minutes. But if you have like a two hour 
big ventral hernia case where you're, you're putting in stitches and you're using uh, the idea. It's like the idea of having music that puts you into a good frame of mind. It, it, it works out. You know, some people can't do it if there's no music. They just get really irritated. Mm-hmm. So there was a push. God, I don't want to say it was maybe three or four years ago. There were some people kicking around the idea of banning music in the yeah, operating room, right, like the American right, College and right, AORN. Right, and, right. you know, they've already banned, like, you know, skull caps in the OR and, like, yeah. uh, you know, having fun. But they're talking about banning, like, the idea of, like, no one should be allowed to listen to music because it's too much of a distraction. Mm. But there are other people that the silence is too much of a distraction, yep. you know, that, yep. that without yep. that music, they can't feel comfortable or they've had it for, yep. I mean, I can't imagine having done this job for 30 years with music on in the room, especially like some like low volume, like sure. soft rock music or something. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, you have to turn it off. And it's like, what feels different about this case? Mm-hmm. And you may not be able to get to a point where you feel comfortable operating during those cases. That, that makes me a little nervous that yeah. we're just making rules up for no reason. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think a lot of us treat music as white noise. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, I, you, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I went back to the MBA school, MBA school uh, Gadden, to get my MBA degree. And, um, you know, old habits of all the study habits that I didn't think about because I hadn't been in school for like 10, 15 years yeah. comes right back. You know, I, I study with music on in my yeah. headphone. You know, I, I prefer to study in at Starbucks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with headphones on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, the white noise helps me. But you know, speaking of flow and 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 really, uh, and, and this is not me as you know, I, I was OR director, I'm CMO now. But this is not me as administrator. It was really just me as how I how I've, and and you've operated with me. You you know this is what I what I do. Um, but recently, I saw somebody outdo me. So what I'm getting at is, I think preparation has a ton to do with your ability to get into the zone, probably even more so than the music and whatnot. So. We're doing a case and we have time, uh, even if we don't have time, you know, um, gunshot wound or a stoma takedown or a ventral hernia repair, open reconstruction, whatever. You know, I usually find my scrub tech and go, well, one is helpful if you know each other. So introduction if you need to. But I go, okay, this is what we're doing today. You know, I'm going to go midline or I'm going to go whatever. Yeah. And these are the steps I'm going to go through. So which means I have to have this instrument, this suture, whatever. If I can call them all out, and and I think they like it. I see many of them take notes, and they make sure they have what I need. Ideally, of course, we're doing we're so much in lockstep that I I don't even have to say that. And I think yeah. some surgeons have that. Me as a guy who does trauma emergencies, I understand I'm not going to have all that. But if I could tell them, hey, you know, I'm going to use this stapler. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use this. I'm going to have. I want you to have. Um, um, uh, ligature impact in the room but not open because yeah, I may or may not use it. You know, right, right, yeah, I, know, <laughs> I love right? it. <laughs> or I get into a mesenteric ischemia case, you know, and the patient's unstable as heck. I'm gonna, I might take the entire colon with staplers. Yeah. So I want you to bring an entire box of reloads, yeah. right? And uh, but don't open any of it because I know it's expensive. Uh, I think if you can have that conversation, yeah, it just goes so much smoother. Now the reason I said somebody, I saw somebody outdo me. Um, we in the last two years we had a um, uh, pediatric cardiac surgeon rejoin join the UK group and uh, for whatever reason among his email email thing you know and um, literally the day before every case he does he writes an email to the entire group of people like 
case managers, maybe not case managers, but OR nurse, circulator, you know, his, his partner, his assist, everybody. Say, so we're doing this case. These are, the ca- these are the things we're doing. And then he'll write out every single step, every single suture. This is when we go on perfusion. I mean, the, I mean it's the whole, amazing. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it probably <clears throat> takes him 30 minutes to write this email. But every step is described. It's impressive. Yeah. And uh, you read this thing and go, wow, this guy's really thought about his case. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, oh, we're just going to rely on the pick list from uh, exactly. the last guy about yeah. five years ago. Now, granted, I know he doesn't do anywhere near the volume that any of us do, yeah. but still, it's just like, wow. Yeah, no, that, I, that is like, you know, that the the idea of like being overly prepared, like this is what we're going to do. And you rarely get burned where you're like, we're going to use 2 silks for this. And sure. they're like, oh, you know what? We need seven uh, O prolines. I was way off, you know, right. like so far right. off that there's not right, anything right, right. we can use, you know. And Correct. Correct. So, uh, and and everybody expects like, well, I've already told them once, yep. but you know, like the idea of right. like being able to you continually yeah. have to communicate that over yeah. and over. Yeah. So you know, when, when I started doing that, um, it really wasn't because I I think one day I'm going to be your director or whatever. It was just self preservation, right? Yeah. I got tired of sitting, sitting waiting around, around waiting. waiting for something, right? Yeah. So I tell every resident you've got to think two steps ahead because you could be doing whatever it is you're doing while somebody's out there spending, I don't care, 45 minutes to look for the stapler that you've, you've yeah. asked for. doesn't matter. It yeah. doesn't matter to me because I'm still <coughs> working, you know? Yeah, I, I like the idea of like a pre, pre-case huddle Yes. and then even like a post-case, like, um, yeah. I mean, usually, usually by the end while they're putting the bandages on, I'm like, I'm out. I'm going to talk to the family. Yeah. I don't want to talk to any of you people anymore. That's right. <laughs> I'm like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go stretch my legs and go talk to the family and get the prescriptions written, you know. Yeah. Right. Um, but the idea of like a pre a pre case huddle like that, like yes. even if it's just one person or two people, mm-hmm. you know, like you and one other, you and yeah. the circulator and the nurse, goes a long way for them, helps them out a lot, which then yes. helps you out a lot. Right. But I think where where places go wrong with it, um, you know, is, is trying to make it dogma, like make yeah. it like you, right. everybody has to do something. We're going to have a checkoff sheet yeah. and it's like, now it's Dr. Chang telling people they've got to do a huddle. And yeah, then all of a sudden nobody's buying it. <laughs> like, like you might as well be like, I, what I want you to do is go run four miles around the parking lot before the case, <laughs> come in and then sing praises to that picture of me on the wall. That's, That's right. what I want. You know, it's yeah. once you make it official, it becomes like a real big deal. But it, trying to get them to just be like, well, if you want me to do it, make it official. You yeah. make it official, and they get all pissed. But the idea of like being being a little bit more prepared is it takes five like thirty seconds, ten yeah. minutes before the case, yeah. or the night before, or an email or whatever. Yeah. It so, benefits all of us, and especially the patients. Yeah, I mean the they're 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 like no, nobody they, wants the patient to be under anesthesia while we're looking for a vac. Yeah. You know? Ah, oh, we missed misplaced the anoscope again. Yeah, Can't do right. the hemorrhoidectomy. I well, know. Shit. Well, I mean, that's and what then we're here for. The next for. thing you know is like we're adding more and more and more supplies in the room. Yeah. And then you don't have any room to put stuff that you actually need. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. That is. Yeah. That's that's something that's always kind of interests me. The idea of like flow and how some operations go so smoothly and mm-hmm. some don't. And part of it is you know I mean there, there's like attendings that you I remember I mean I this. Honestly, I'm getting kind of chest pain being back in this building, um, <laughs> thinking about the the different attendings and stuff, some of the people I, I had to work under and uh, some of the chiefs and fellows and stuff. But um, some people gave you chest pain and anxiety and as a resident. And some people now, as an attending, some residents give me chest pain and anxiety sure. every once in a while. Sure. 
So it's hard to really feel like, man, I just had a great experience in that case. Like that patient, like it's like, yeah, I mean, it went well, but man, it was like heartburn for me. Nice. But then other patients like, wow, you know, I we normally don't get along real well with that patient, but, or I with that, that yeah. resident. I don't do as well with the room debrief that you're talking about, yeah. but I do do it with a resident. Um, I do it with a resident and I said, okay, and, and I try to have them think that way. Let's just mentally think through the last case. What could you have done better? Yeah. And and normally, most of the time, the answer is, oh, we did this one very well. They don't right? just That's say... sort of the polite answer, right? They, they don't just say, I need to read more. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. a standard yeah. standard attending yeah, critique. A standard, yeah, standard. <laughs> need to read more. I need to read no, more. Increase and, knowledge and work, base. <laughs> work harder. <laughs> Needs to Hard be... worker, but need to read more. I don't know how many times we wrote that. <laughs> No, but I think this has to do with more technical, more technique, right? Yeah. So you've read up, it got you to the case. How can you do better? And 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 the ones that, that say, well, you know, I don't I don't think we did anything, there were no complications. I said, I get that. But yeah. but could you could it have gone smoother? Translation, could you have gone faster? Yeah. Without feeling rushed. You know, and, and uh, I don't know if you I know you did. And I know uh, uh, Dr. Walton, uh, Bill Walton, oh, yeah. St. Joe. <clears throat> um, he's not a small man. No. He's, uh, but he, he was the fastest surgeon I know. And uh, I, kn- I know later in his career, he, he may not be that anymore, but he was, he was really the fastest surgeon I know. Dr. Hagihara said Bill Walton was, is the best surgeon in Lexington said that to a group of us and we're like you mean it's not Paul Carney it's not Boulanger I mean he's yeah. like Bill Walton is the best surgeon in Lexington bar none so when I got there and I was watching I'm like okay it is pretty impressive so he'll do we'll do carotids I know there's case selection stuff and that's carotid interactomy I did four cases with him in a month or two and I looked at the time it was anywhere between 58 minutes and 62 minutes and that's with me sewing half of it yeah. Right. And and triple A repair open. Um, I know again patient selection maybe not the worst aneurysm. Obviously all virgin abdomen two and a half hours every single case. And I started thinking about Haggy Harris saying, Bill Walton's a faster surgeon. And I'm watching this guy. Right. He doesn't move fast because he's not a small man. Every move though was deliberate. Yeah. He had, he had no wasted moves. Yeah, None. it's like very intentional. Like yeah. he would be like, "No, watch out!" Like I remember right. him opening up an abdomen yeah. and do like a right collectomy. Right. He'd say, "Now watch out there, doctor," yeah. and he would just take one big ass paw of his right. and just push everything aside and right. put one lap and one like yep. retractor and yep. it would just stay. Yeah. There's the right colon, the appendix, right. all perfectly yeah. laid out. Yeah. How he could do that, it's still right. It, like it's like mind boggling. Yeah. Like and it he, took me so long to be able to even consider pulling a move like that. Right. I definitely would never say like, now watch out now, <laughs> little man. Watch out now, little resident, right. and I'm gonna show right. you. I'd be like, hey, just don't look. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and you know, so much of it is true, you know, the difference between a fast surgeon and a very fast surgeon, maybe three minutes in a case. But the difference between a surgeon who has no ways to move and no mistakes that you have to make, I don't want to use the word complication, but mistakes that you have to make, yeah. you have to fix later on in the case, it it's it adds up quickly. Oh yeah. You know, you make one wrong turn, uh you're 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 not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, um, mm. you know, I tell the residents, like, um, we do, you know, I, I, I don't do a lot of huge cases. I mean, we do a lot of colectomies. I do sure. a lot of laparoscopic yeah. Uh, yeah. colon surgery and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, we're not just, like, you know, doing gastrectomies every day or whipple, you right. know, do whipples right. and stuff. But right. when, um, when we do gallbladders, it's, like, the most common thing that I'm doing. So I tell them, like, you know, you guys are going to be the ones, you know, doing the majority of the dissection and everything. And let's put the ports where you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, I, I just want these to be where you feel like you can operate. Cause I can take a gallbladder out through three ports in a watermelon. Like I can, right. <laughs> you stick them right. anywhere on the belly. I'll get that gallbladder out without having to add another port. Right. But I'm, I've been doing this a lot and I do yeah. 150 a year. Right. Right? right. You guys do, you know, you've done 15 before right. now. So yeah. like, I'm trying to help you, Yeah. but I yeah. just, I'm like, like you, you do it. Yeah. So I'm like, the best way to put this in is like this. Oh no, you're not, yeah. you're not doing it the right way. You're, you're going, Oh, no, that's going to make it hard on you. Yep. And it's like, it's not going to make it hard on me because I, I can work around that. Yep. But you need to yep. be in the perfect spot. You just need to learn that. So mm-hmm. it's little things like that that were, that yes. it's like, yeah, everything went great. But, you know, your trocars were terrible. Like, right. or your yep. incisions were three times bigger yep. than they need to be. And patients care about that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it seems, I mean, so five millimeters versus 15. I mean, patients don't want to be like, look at this giant scar. Sure. You know, that, that this yeah. this dumbass surgeon in Moorhead right. gave me when uh, it's, oh, I could have gone see a gallbladder specialist at UK. <laughs> They'd done it with the seven millimeter scar, you know, That's whatever. Right. So yeah. the, uh, it, it is, it's a, it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. I think that, and I don't know, I, I, some of my partners have said, you know, I don't want to dog on the residents too much, but they have said like, oh, some of the residents, you know, it's not like it was when I started. It's not like it was. I think everybody goes through that, like, ah, when I graduated and it was the first year attending, the residents were better. Now, after a few years, they, they all suck. They're not they're not good. Or the, I don't think anybody ever says they all suck. I'm going to cut that. <laughs> <laughs> but they, it's like, no, they're just, it's just, they're just not like they were. And, and part of that is, you know, it's like, ah, oh, it's like this projection of, oh, they changed the duty hours. They changed yeah. the training program, and it's not the same. And I, I would say, to be fair, I think what we're seeing, I, I do think that with the duty hour change, the applicant pool might be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, pre-duty hour change, I think you mostly get the diehard group of medical students yeah, gung ho. Yeah, <laughs> this or nothing, right? Yeah. Um, type of residents where they we understood that you will work a hundred hours a week. Yeah, and that's just the way it's going to be. Whereas now you get the group where you go, well, lifestyle is important, and I'm not saying it's not. Trust me, but there are people who may not have the same sort of gung ho mentality anymore. In terms of intelligence and skills, I think I think they're fine. I, I, yeah. I do think our residents continue to be top-notch. Um, where I am seeing the difference, and I don't think this is, I think, I don't think this is local, I think this is national, is after five years, you simply don't have enough case volume or yeah. you used to say stick time. You just don't have enough stick time yeah. to, and, and different people reach different Different people reach proficiency at different stages of their career or residency. Yeah. Most of us hit it in the fourth, if you're lucky, sometime during your fifth year, as expected, right? So the question that I think all educators, surgical educators have is, what if you never hit it? What if you never had that aha case during residency? Yeah. You know, and, um, but I think the migration is that 
people who are graduating now at least have insight and say, I can't go out to be in solo practice. I need to go into a group where you have a J. Michael Burton, yeah, Dave like a mentor Victor, kind of person. Yeah, I mean, Perry, that's what I had when I was right, you know. to come out and sort of just to make sure, right? And, and then, and then, which is also in my my view is that's why we have these fellowship called Mastery of Surgery. Yeah, well, what does that mean? I thought you're supposed to have Mastery of Surgery at the end of five years. Yeah, but I think that's in response to that. You know? Yeah. Part of what I, I I remember, you know, I I authored a poster, which then became a paper written by someone else because right. I just got right. tired of residency. But um, and it was about how many cases are done during our acute care surgery, our blue right. surgery rotation. Right. You know, we that. did a yep. ton of X laps and right. open abdomens, right. and we did a ton right. of appies and gallbladders and hernias in the middle of the night and all yep. kinds of crazy the trachs and pegs, and we got you know a thousand. I mean, 500 cases on that service. I mean, I spent 60, I think I remember 62 or 64 weeks out of five years. So over a full calendar year, but I got probably at least a third, if not half my cases while on that service, Mm because it was Mm -hmm. all the emergencies. Right. Right. And, um, the, the thing that, that I really focused on, on the poster and was the case volume, like our case volume is lower than it was. 10 years ago. Right. But if you look at over the course of all these cases that are logged in the, you know, the ACGME website or whatever, yeah. it shows that, that you can get a huge number on a, in a hospital that has an acute care surgery service. Mm-hmm. I don't even know mm-hmm. if I ever read the paper, but that was, that was the gist of the poster. And, um, and it was, you know, it made sense like, okay, we're just proving what we already kind of thought. Um, right. we're just showing you can get a lot yeah. of numbers out. Yeah. But I think what I had never really thought about focusing on when I was a resident until I was a chief, like just about to finish, when I had to start doing breast cases again after mm-hmm. not having done mm-hmm. them since second year was that right. doing the cases is great, but if you're not interested in the case, a lot of times you're, you're literally just like, okay, stitch here. Yeah. I'll put a stitch there. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, do that. Right. Do, right. You know, and, and learning, not necessarily learning on your own, but like really putting intentional, like focused learning on, on the skill that you're, that you're doing. Like everyone learns to, like you do enough suturing, you're going to learn to suture. Yeah. But if you can really suture like crazy as a second year resident, you're going to get to do a lot more. But if oh, you're all yeah. continually like you, tr- anytime you, you suture in front of an attending, you're going to have a trimmer, you're going to be shaking, you don't know wh- which way's up. You're not going to get to do as much in that case. And that's like a mi- missed opportunity. Now with the way, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's like there's a million cases all spread out over two hospitals here now, right? Like, uh, yeah. you know, Good Sam in UK, right, the right. residents are, are split out. There's a million things to do and clinics to cover, and you're not always going to be, like, just in the OR. Um, it's hard to say, like, I'm going to go run in and do that gallbladder and be really intentional on that gallbladder yeah. so yeah. I can get over to do the thyroid with Dr. Lee, right. you know, and right. be real intentional on that thyroid. It's like, ooh, let me see the anatomy and let me see, oh, that's the nerve. Oh, look, that's how that stimulator thing works. Okay, let's close right. up. All right, great, right. moving on. Right. But but to, like, sit there and really try to have, like, a real experience during it, like, not distracted, like, this is the exact technique you need right. that you can just get in sh- with fewer repetitions is a really hard balance for like surgery residency. And I think that's like the big thing in how do you, how do you teach right. 1800 cases in 1300? And I can imagine yeah. that it was easier when the residents, us were not pulling in so many directions that you could plan with high degree of certainty that you're going to scrub these three cases tomorrow. Yeah. So you read about it, yeah. right? The anatomy again and different steps in the case and what the pitfalls are. And really look out for those, and and look for certain nerves and certain yeah. vessels. But if you if you haven't read about it, 
uh, it's hard to prepare for a case. Yeah. And, and part of it is on us to let the residents have that time to prep. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It, and it's, I mean, it's just like in Moorhead, I remember being like, oh, this is like summer camp. You don't have clinic. That's right. You just have, you know, yeah, they might operate. page you. Like, yep. I mean, yeah, you get paged in the middle of the night, you know. And, like, I mean, I love having a resident out there because I'm not going in to see, you know, a butt pus in the middle of the night. Right. You just get a phone call and go back to sleep. And the residents yeah. have to do it. But at the same time, they're getting to operate at a much earlier age. And right. uh, it's like we really try to let them, like, operate, let them be the chief on the service. Sometimes they're, like, already, like, they think they're ready for to be the chief. Mm. And they'll let you know, and they're 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 clearly not. Yeah. Then other times they're like very happy to just be like, I'm still an intern. I don't I don't want to make decisions. I'm I'm going to give you some information and not critically think through it. Or, and, and it's 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 like intermittently like a really big challenge. And sometimes it's it's not. I don't know. Yeah. I think part of that's yeah. the the difference in the residents. Maybe I don't know. Uh, but I think that um, you know I I one time I was at an ethics conference back when I used to go to conferences all the time and not podcast in my spare time. <laughs> I went to an ethics conference and there was a guy whose name slips my mind right now, but he was former head of the ACGME. He was at Notre Dame. He was a Notre Dame grad like me. And he, um, he was like a nephrologist. He's the head of ACGME, like whatever. And he was up pontificating on like patient safety and duty hours. And I was like, man, I thought duty hours were a farce. And he got really pissed. <laughs> And I said, I said, I think the newer duty hour, this is when they went from the, like, like they, they put the, like, mandated nap period, yeah, all that, right. that stuff. And yep. I was like, oh, it's just kind of embarrassing. Like, people still look at us like we're like you, like an old man who worked his ass off to become a hell of a doctor and moved, it, moved up the chain. People look at you, and they look at, the, at, at people now who are training. Like, our interns might be working 45 hours a week because we can't, work a call schedule. So right. they only work days and they get right. shit on by, right. by their chiefs and because they're not working as hard as the chiefs used to work. And it's, right. it's like all these unintended consequences. And he was like, the only intended consequence that matters is patient safety. And I was like, well, do you know if it's going to be safer? And he just like blew me off. Like, I was like, I mean, I know I look, I look like I'm 18, but you know, yeah. freaking board certified general surgeon, you're just some dumbass nephrologist who doesn't even <laughs> see patients, you know, go has time to go to a freaking ethics conference and <laughs> bitch about, you know, we, we're working people too hard. It's like, forget that. And I think some of the data is inconclusive, right? We joined the first yeah. trial and, and didn't, it wasn't clear that duty hours improve patient safety. No. I think, you know, we, uh, I used to give the, the old guys a hard time. Um, they would say, like, you know, like, we used to, we lived in the hospital. We would spend every other night in the hospital, and then we'd go home to our wives if we got lucky. And we were here 48, hour, you know, 48-hour shifts every day. And, yeah. and I was like, well, you know, I mean, you guys had what? You did the same number of cases as us, yeah. you know? You yeah. did all, or not even. You did 1,000 yeah. cases. Right. Uh, you, yeah, you put in your own IVs, and you, you wrote all the notes. Yep. I was like, I'm pretty sure you didn't write all the notes when you were the chief. That's right. You know, and you were spending all that time, but you had 10 inpatients. It's like when I was an intern, we would average on call, you'd be in charge of 40 or 50 patients. Oh, yeah. You'd be the first call, and you'd be like, and that's Who's not that? even like on trauma. <laughs> on yeah. trauma, you'd have like 80 or 90. You'd yeah. have to know all of them, and if you didn't know their potassium, you'd get yelled at the next yeah. morning. Right. You know, I, and, yeah. and it was like it's a little different when you're saying like, okay, I'm compressing, you know, your training, which, you know, by, by 20 hours less, so it's 20%, right? So I'm taking a, basically six years in the current paradigm putting it into five but also taking care of three or four times the number of inpatients mm-hmm. and 10 times the number of attend i don't know 10 times probably probably double the number of attendings 
they're not putting posters up. I mean, like those yeah. guys were entrenched, right? Yeah. They're they're putting paintings up of these attendings from a hundred years ago. <laughs> and you're not getting a painting up on the wall right now, right? I mean, where's your wing gonna be, right? Yeah. <laughs> so 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 we switched from a two team trauma team when I was a, at the end of my fourth year. And I actually designed the three team system that we use today. And um and uh because we had gone from, you know, the 80-hour work week was coming. Right. And we wanted to try it out as it comes or before it came or as it come, as it was coming out. I can't remember. Steve Noe, myself, we designed it. I was going to be the admin chief. He was the next one. And what was very interesting to me personally was that I felt that when we went from a from a every other night call to every third night call, it became harder for me to manage the patients. And uh, now my life was better because I was home two out of three nights. Yeah. But it was harder when I was at work because before, all I was missing was maybe about, for every two-day block, 48 hours, I was missing maybe about 12 hours. Yeah, it's just, just enough time to sleep and eat. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I would I was hang out post-call till maybe 15 hours, till about 2, 3 in the afternoon, I know everything that's going on up to that point. I go home, just like you said. How much can happen? Sleep, <laughs> get up and eat, and sleep again. And then when I come back the next day, all I got to do is catch up the 15-hour blank. Right. right? Yeah. Who's What yeah. happened to so-and-so in the last 15 hours? Because yeah. you can sort of predict what happened yeah. to Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so. So it was really easy to catch up. Yeah. Like Just like that, it's like I never left. But now it's like you're gone for a day and a half oh my goodness or yeah. two days you know it's like I have no well, idea what happened I, I remember thinking like when I mean we did it I only knew the three every third day you know right. it was like right, the, right, the, right. the, the right. on call right. post call short call right Don't, you know I remember my intern year the only day that I had off on the calendar that wasn't like a 24 hour window like show up an hour you know show up at right. noon right, uh, right, you know right. on your yes. post yeah your, yeah. your, your short day uh-huh. or your late day um, was the day of the airplane crash <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? I was, I, yes. I, I woke up at like two o'clock in the afternoon and I had been up like, I mean, I, I was, we were kind of maybe fudging a little bit on our, uh, don't tell Dr. Indian, but um, right. we were fudging on our duty hours a little bit. So I think, I think actually the day before I might've like stuck around to do like trakes and pegs with mm. you and like on a Ruzik or somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was like, oh man, tomorrow I actually have the day off. This is going to be great. Yeah. I can't believe it. I've never had day off on trauma. It's been like the fourth week, and here it is. And Come on in, Dr. Perry. No, I, I, <laughs> I slept through the pager. <laughs> My wife, you know, she was working nights at the time, too. So uh, I don't – she wasn't – she had the day off, that night off. So we, like, actually, like, slept and, and woke up, had breakfast, and – looked at the like looked at the internet or something and it was like on like cnn air, yeah. airplane crash and lex i like called over. i was like what the hell is going on they're like nick ikai saved some guy's life and i was like what about all the other people I'm like ooh, yeah it was a tragic day it was yeah tragic but day. they said like everybody sh- you know everyone showed up like they were like where's jacob where's where the hell is jacob at i'm like sleep it was tragic right you guys it was that God, and then it yeah. was the same thing with the with the tornado that touched down um we were ready, but there were no patients. Yeah. I, I, I could sort of imagine that's what 9-11 was like. And friends in New York City yeah. said it was just kind of like that. You just know? waiting, waiting yeah, around, you, nothing. Everybody, yeah, it's just very tragic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just remember that was like the one day yeah. that I had off. I was like, this this is about right. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
Where were you, Jake? Oh, I was just at home, <laughs> at home with my wife, just just yep. cuddling. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. I'm a hero. You know, <clears throat> I was like, I would have been about the 38th person in line to help anybody out had that happened. Right. Yeah. You know?